Everyone wants to be loved, but not everyone feels loved. Infants thrive on affection shown to them by parents, but when deprived of love and affection, development is stunted. Thankfully, most of us received an abundance of love in our early years, but sadly too many infants have been thrust into situations where they did not. Dr. David Hamilton, a scientist, writer, and speaker, in his February 21, 2012 newsletter wrote the following, Any mother intuitively knows that her children need love. Now a wealth of scientific evidence is shining light on why this is so. The Budapest Early Intervention Project, a project that examined the health and development of children in Romanian orphanages, found startling evidence that when infants and children are starved of love and affection, their bodies do not grow as they should. In fact, for every three months in an institution, a child loses an average of one month of growth. But infants aren't the only ones who need love. Children of all ages want to know that they are loved by their parents. Some desire to be touched and held. Others have a more touch-me-not personality. But all crave their parents' love and attention. Most teens are driven by a desire to have a boyfriend or girlfriend. They want to love and be loved. And what adult doesn't thrive on love? Our music world is filled with love lyrics. The popular musical Fiddler on the Roof is a classic that is performed by professionals and amateurs in theaters around the world. One famous scene has Tevye asking Golda, his wife, the question, Do you love me? Golda, do you love me? Do I what? Do you love me? Do I love you? Well? With our daughters getting married and this trouble in the town. You're upset, you're worn out. Go inside, go lie down. Maybe it's indigestion. Uh, no, Golda, I'm asking you a question. The end of the exchange goes like this, beginning with Golda trying to answer his question. This time as though she is speaking to the audience. Do I love him? Well? For 25 years I've lived with him, fought with him, starved with him. 25 years my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? Then you love me. I suppose I do. And I suppose I love you too. It doesn't change a thing, but even so, after 25 years, it's nice to Yes, even husbands and wives need confirmation from time to time that they are loved by the other. And let's not forget the elderly. They too crave love and attention, especially from the very ones they brought into this world, their children. Whether we are newborn infants or bedridden elderly, we all have the human need for love. But what is love and how can you have it? 
On today's program, we're going in search of love. So stay tuned. Welcome to Tomorrow's World from those of us here at the Living Church of God, the sponsor of this program. We sincerely hope you are doing well and that you are loved by those around you. But today we see that love is often an elusive thing. Many teens become depressed because they can't seem to attract that special person of the opposite sex. Some wives feel unloved by their husbands and many elderly feel worthless and cast aside by their own children. What's wrong with us? Why is love such an important but lacking commodity in today's world? Part of the problem is a lack of understanding. We all think we know what love is, but do we? Have you ever tried to define love? On a previous program, I described a t-shirt slogan I saw while visiting Ocean Park in Hong Kong. It read, Love doesn't need a teacher. But is that so? If it's such a natural thing, why do so many feel unloved? Is it a rapid heartbeat, sweaty hands, and a loss of appetite? This may seem like a silly question, but a lot of the heartache exists in our world because people don't know the answer the question. As with the young lady wearing the t-shirt, people think love comes naturally and we don't need a teacher to instruct us on such a subject. But if love doesn't need a teacher, why is it that so many young people start out in love and end up in bitter disputes, angry accusations, and sometimes in violent outbursts that lead to mental and emotional pain and occasionally physical violence. Maybe it's time to revisit this subject of love and reevaluate its definition. The Bible is God's instruction manual for mankind on how to live. It gives us essential knowledge of what we need to know to live successful and happy lives, and it doesn't leave out this subject. The Bible uses three different Greek words that are translated into the one English word, love and it's helpful for us to know what they are as they describe three different kinds of love. Filio refers to the kind of love found between brothers and friends. So we might simply refer to filio as brotherly love. The Bible gives us important principles of what it means to have brotherly love, and we find that it involves having responsibilities as well as benefits. For example, Proverbs 17:17 tells us a true friend is faithful during difficult times. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. In Proverbs the 27th chapter and verse 9, it teaches that a true friend gives wise advice to his friend. Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Occasionally that counsel may not be wanted, but a true friend may have to tell his friend unpleasant truths for his own good. 
Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And Proverbs 15, verse 3 tells us a real friend doesn't spread gossip about his friend. A second Greek word found in the Bible that we translate love in the English language is eros, from which we derive the word erotic. This kind of love is intended only to be shared between a man and his wife. In short, eros is marital love. For far too many, sexual love is more often than not lust. It is taken outside of marriage and is self-centered. And sadly, even in marriage, it is too often selfish and void of proper context. This God-given gift has been greatly abused in today's world. Believing that man has evolved and is no more than a high-level animal life form, its purpose of binding two people to one another for life and a family relationship is lost. We should not be surprised that divorce has increased dramatically over the last half century in a world filled with selfishness. So it should not surprise us that divorce rates are so high in our modern world. Hong Kong, for example, has the third highest divorce rate in the world, only behind the United States and Korea. China is still far behind, but divorce rates are rising dramatically, most especially among the younger generation. Sadly, as a nation increases wealth, so divorce increases. Take this January 1st, 2011 BBC headline, for example. Not so happily ever after, as Indian divorce rate doubles. This doubling took place over the previous five years, and the article predicts it seems inevitable that the divorce rate is going to continue to rise. And divorce statistics would be even higher almost everywhere if it weren't for the large number of people who couple and decouple without legal formality. With such a sad state of affairs, neither should we be surprised by such cynical words as found in this once popular Tina Turner song. What's love but a second-hand emotion? What's love got to do with it, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? The desire to know if one is truly loved in an intimate way is a common theme in music, and so is betrayal and insincerity. God never intended Eros love, that physical expression of love between a married man and his wife, to be void of giving. The problem in reality is that far too few have any real concept of what love means. Many years ago, I learned from a very wise man that the basis of love is outgoing concern for another person or persons. As explained on a previous program, Herbert W. Armstrong was known as an ambassador for world peace. He visited an amazing array of world leaders, emperors, presidents, kings and queens, and leaders in business and government at all levels. His message to them was very simple. There are really only two ways of life, the give way and the get way. The one way is self-centered and is concerned about what one can gain for himself. The other way shows concern for the needs of the other person, how one can serve and help. The problems we see in the world today, whether between husband and wife, neighbor and neighbor, 
or nation and nation are the result of the get way of life and how we treat others. Moral values change with man's whim. What once was considered evil and unacceptable, for example, marriage between two people of the same sex, is now considered normal in much of the Western world. And those who refuse to accept the new standard may very well be confronted by a hostile news reporter. When moral values break down, love is one of the first casualties, and all we have to do is look around us to understand that. The third Greek word found in the Bible that we translate into the English word love is agape. Simply put, agape refers to godly love. This is the kind of love God has, and it is totally selfless and outgoing. In a way, this is the kind of love that needs to accompany both Filio and Eros, because without godly selfless love, all true love is limited and flawed. This is evident from the way agape is described in what Bible students call the love chapter. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. As we can see from this, love involves active behavior. Love does not behave rudely, but acts kindly. And love does not parade itself, or as we might say, it does not show off. More importantly, love involves how we think. Envy, self-seeking, and thinking evil are the antithesis of love, and these occur in the mind. Being puffed up refers to an attitude of arrogance, and all these negative attitudes eventually express themselves in actions contrary to love. On the night in which He was betrayed, Jesus made this statement to His disciples. It can be found in John, the 15th chapter, and verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. If you would like to discover more about how this topic impacts your life, visit us online at www.lcgcanada.org to read our featured literature free of charge. While he expected his disciples to live by this principle, he was also making a statement about the greatest act of love ever known to man. We have to get some background if we are to fully understand. The Bible tells us that it is God, not blind chance, that created life on this planet. We learn that man was not made after any animal kind, but in the very image of God. God clearly has a special plan for you and me. But who is this God that created the first man and woman? Most professing Christians are familiar with the terms father and son when discussing what is called the New Testament. They understand that Jesus of Nazareth is also known as the Son of God. Few know the Scriptures well enough to know who Jesus was before His human birth. 
but the Bible is very explicit on this subject. Note these easy to understand statements about who He was. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, were the thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. There can be no doubt from these verses that Jesus Christ is the one who created all things in heaven and on earth. Many professing Christians believe that the Father was the God of the Old Testament and that Jesus is the God of the New Testament. But 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, contradicts this idea. This passage tells us specifically which member of the God family worked with ancient Israel. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So that no one misunderstands, the one who became Jesus Christ was the very one who created all life on this earth and who worked with ancient Israel. He is the same one who thundered ten commandments from Mount Sinai. He is the same one who appeared to 74 leaders of Israel and ate with them. Notice it in Exodus, the 24th chapter. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. The one who later emptied himself of his divine power spoke, appeared to, and even ate with people of old. But the one known as the Father never appeared nor spoke to men. This is evident from John the first chapter and verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. This is also affirmed in John the fifth chapter and verse 37. And the Father Himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard His voice at any time nor seen His form. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was not an accident. It was not the result of a reformer coming along who made too many waves. It was a prophesied event that was necessary if mankind has any hope of life after death. And it was the greatest act of love ever performed. Let me explain. God instructed our first parents on the way that we should live. God's way is the way of love, of outgoing concern for others. It is through His law that we learn how to show love toward Him and toward our neighbor. We learn that we are not to murder, commit adultery, steal, or lie. We are also instructed in His law to honor our parents, something that many rebellious children violate routinely in our permissive world. And we are commanded to set aside not just any day, but the seventh day each week as a day of rest and worship. 1 John 3, 4 labels the breaking of this law as sin. 
Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Paul tells us in Romans 6, chapter, verse 23, what the penalty of sin is. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Furthermore, we learn from Romans 3, chapter, and verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. More than 700 years before Jesus was born, God gave an amazing prophecy through His prophet Isaiah. In it, He described one that would come to give His life for the sins of mankind. Let's notice it in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, and beginning in verse 4. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. By His knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. There are far too many scriptures predicting the coming of Christ to recite in this short program. Some predict His death. Some give specific details about how He would die. Others describe events surrounding His death, such as how lots would be cast over the division of His garments by the soldiers who crucified Him, or the fact that He would be executed with common criminals yet buried in a rich man's tomb. The Apostle Paul uses Christ's example of giving His life in exchange for ours as a lesson of love for us. In Philippians, the second chapter, beginning in verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Consider carefully. Our Creator emptied himself of his divine power to come down to the earth and allow himself to be abused and killed and He did it for the very purpose of exchanging His life for ours, for the very ones who were killing Him. This example of self-sacrifice on our behalf is clearly the greatest act of love for all time. Paul instructs us, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. As seen on today's program, everyone wants to be loved. But love is more than an emotion. It's caring enough for the other person that selfless actions follow. Yes, everyone wants love, but are we willing to give love? The Bible speaks of the time in the future when a great transformation is going to come to this earth. It will not come about by human effort, 
but as it were from a strong hand from heaven. That strong hand is going to deal with the troublemakers in the world and teach mankind the way of God's law, the give way, the way of outgoing concern. In short, Jesus Christ will come back to bring real love and peace to this troubled planet. We read of this time in Isaiah, the second chapter, beginning in verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, and we shall walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more." This is the time we on this program call Tomorrow's World. In this search for love, we have examined three biblical types of love, each unique and each greatly enriching the lives of all those involved. We also examined Jesus Christ's perfect example of agape love. How can you love others in the same way Jesus did? By living your life by the same code of conduct He held Himself to, the Ten Commandments. These commandments act as a perfect roadmap for truly loving our Creator as well as those around us. Now to learn more about how these commandments reveal godly love, go to our website that will be shown momentarily to read or download our booklet, The Ten Commandments. And be sure to come back every week at the same time to learn more about tomorrow's world. See you next time. If you would like to discover more about how this topic impacts your life, visit us online at www.lcgcanada.org to read our featured literature free of charge. The preceding program has been produced by the Living Church of God.